Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert Rand, your host. Today, we're going to be talking about if dev agencies can change the world. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I stumbled on uh, a partnership with a company that seems to, to think that they can, and we're going to see if we can prove it out in today's podcast episode. Uh, I'm joined today by, uh, depending on, on which continent he's on, either Charles or Carlos uh, with the Code Exitos team. Uh, and um, Charles, would you do the honor of introducing yourself? Yeah, thanks. Uh, Robert, I'm happy to be here and I appreciate the invite to uh, talk about uh, our perspective on how we think we're changing the world at Code Exitos. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, my name is Charles Fry, although for a lot of my Latin American colleagues and friends and employees, I go by Carlos. So Charles or Carlos, either one is fine. Uh, I've been a tech guy for a long time, uh, way back in the 1980s. Um, and through all of the dot-com revolutions, uh, the run-ups, I've uh, been involved in a number of startups. And so... I guess the popular literature would call me a serial entrepreneur in the technology space, primarily in e-commerce, transportation, logistics, uh, software, software-related uh, enterprises. Several of those have been venture capital-backed uh, by firms on the West Coast and on the East Coast. Yeah, so some of them have been, have been uh, Carlos-backed uh, <laughs> up to and including the. Uh, the current venture, Code Exitos. And Code Exitos is, we are at our heart, a software development firm. So we do custom software. That's what we build. We build products for other people. We don't build products for ourselves. And uh, our headquarters are in Austin, Texas. Uh, but our dev center, we refer to as our Spark Center, uh, is in San Pedro Sula, Honduras. And the reason it's in Honduras has a lot to do with uh, what I want to achieve and accomplish with Code Exitos at this uh, point in my career, which I hope is sort of the sunset sunset of my career. Uh, I think I'm swearing off any more startups. No one ever believes me when they hear me say that. But well, luckily, uh, you're not being critic. reported. So if anything changes, no one will be able. To yeah, yeah, that's right. Who would know? Who would know? Um, but Codexitos is uh, a technology company with a very different uh, perspective and mission. And as you pointed out at the beginning, uh, we believe very seriously in, in making the world a better place. And so uh, I think that's probably what you want to talk about more than any uh, historical fact of mine or, or technology-related issue. Uh, but uh, we're thrilled to be partnered with uh, JetRails. E-commerce is, is an important part of my career and, uh, and looking forward to uh, building more e-commerce sites and making more merchants successful online. And through that process, we'll fulfill our greater mission of uh, making the world a better place. Well, you know, I'm going to dive in with one of my all-time favorite questions for this podcast. And uh, okay. in, with my awful New York accent, I'm going to butcher the name of, of your, <laughs> your wonderful agency. How did Code Exitos get its name? Yeah, that's a good question. And you said it just fine. Uh, Exitos uh, means success in Spanish. 
And of course, anybody that's a geek knows that code is code, right? So there's no way it's not like a cipher or a secret. Uh, it's just the source code uh, that we write. So, you know, as every entrepreneur facing the founding of a business, I wanted something that had a domain name available. Uh, that's always a bigger and bigger challenge. Uh, but more importantly, I wanted a name that played well in English and in Spanish because we we view our work as a bilingual. We're a bilingual company, English Spanish, and so exitos is is clearly a Spanish word, and it just means success. So combined, successful code, code success. Right. So you know, I when I first heard the name uh, exitos, you know it. I didn't have the the literal translation stored in the back of my head from uh, from high school Espanol, <laughs> so right? It was actually very helpful uh, to understand that you know that there is sort of that that backstory. Is it's always fun to understand sort of the vision that uh, that drives in these early days as everyone is searching for a domain, um, right? So. Well, I think the word the word plays well. Sorry to interrupt you, Robert, yeah. but you you pronounce you pronounce it just fine, which is which was one of the objectives from the marketing perspective and the branding perspective is that you know you don't need to uh, roll any R's or have any special uh, Spanish pronunciation uh, in order to sort of sound it out phonetically. So exitos works out well. There's always that. There's a lot of tech companies that no one has any idea how to pronounce, and yeah, I think even the employees right. argue about. Uh, left, right, up, or down. We could probably dedicate an episode to that. How to pronounce the names of <laughs> how to capitalize it, yeah. right? Which which letters are capitalized and which are which vowels do we forget? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've instituted at JetRails. I don't believe I was the first, but capital J and capital R, so that people know it's really a combination of of two words in terms of pronunciation, and we do that on purpose. Because the pronunciation can be thrown off. I've met someone that first read it as, you know, like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'll spare myself. Um, but coming back to the agency that you formed um, and mm -hmm. the thought that this is where you found your passion after years uh, in tech. I understand that you've been filing for B Corp status. How rare is that? That's right. Um, and, you know, is that something that uh, that is becoming more common at this point or um, is that still really a niche of businesses around the globe um, that are focusing on that? Well, it's a great series of questions. And I think that, you know, I would refer people out to bcorporation.net is uh, the domain name for them. Um, B corporations are relatively new. Uh, the ability to file as a B corp, and I don't think it's universal in every state. Uh, we're incorporated in Texas, and there it's accepted. And if you're interested in what B corps are, you'll have to do some research and maybe talk to your legal advisor and, and even your tax advisor about it. But the but the general idea is. Uh, somewhere between being a for-profit entity, like a regular corporation would be a you know classic entrepreneurial Delaware C corp, um, you know pure corporation, and 
not quite a nonprofit, you know, the proverbial 501c3. Uh, I evaluated a lot of different options, uh, really all the options that are available for the incorporation. And my reason for electing a B Corp may not be the same as what other people who have elected B Corp status uh, use it for. Um, but um, I'd be happy to tell you about what it means to us and why we elected to do it. If uh, yeah, if I can no, hear more I, about that. Absolutely. But, okay. Sure. So it gets into a little bit of uh, legal hair splitting, but it, from a purely legal perspective, uh, a corporation is, and, and sometimes the law even thinks of a corporation as almost like it were a human being or a, 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 a literal entity in and of itself. Uh, as a corporation, the only obligation of the people who are shareholders or, or who are operating that business is to maximize the financial return for shareholders. That's really their only legal obligation. Well, and you know, not to break any laws while they do it. <laughs> Although we have Hopefully. some sterling examples of bad actors, right? Um, but there is this very, very um, tried and true body of case law that says the decisions that a corporation makes are prioritized for shareholder return. Nothing more. Uh, and then we have on, on the other end of the spectrum, we have uh, nonprofits, which while they can take in money and even generate a profit from their income, uh, if they have any operating income, they, it's okay to generate what we would think of as an accounting profit. Uh, but those assets that are accumulated by a nonprofit don't really belong to anyone. They, they belong to the public at large. So you can't um there, there are certain things you can and can't do with 501c3s that are that are fairly restrictive um from the from what i wanted to accomplish no million dollar what bonuses a, <laughs> uh no there believe it or not there are people that do that but yeah. Uh, um yeah if you if you look into the world of nonprofits, you see some that look very non they look very profit. They look very profit. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's it's good to be the guy in charge or the gal in charge, I suppose. Uh, so what we wanted was uh, we wanted to have a mechanism that prevented more than anything that prevented our culture and our mission from ever being at risk of being corrupted for a purely profit motive. Now, I mentioned in the preamble that I've uh, done a lot of startups and some of them have been venture-backed startups. And that's great. I'm a, no complaints about the people who do um, you know, private investing or venture capital or even private equity. But when financial interests take over, um, I've seen and I've been involved in the corruption, frankly, of the mission, vision, and values that the startup was originally launched with. Um, and I think most entrepreneurs believe they're changing the world in some way or another. We, would, we wouldn't put up with all the things that we put up with and all the risks that we take. Um, but let's face it, you know, if your primary equity holders come in and say, hey, we've decided to do uh, 
you're we're merging the company with company X over here, and it's the evil empire in your in your belief system. Um, you know, money rules in the in the corporate structure. The golden rule means he with the gold rules. Uh, with the B Corp, our public benefit mission is baked into our corporate charter and can't be separated from the the charter of the corporation overall. So it is very much a legal heat shield from uh, it, it, it forces whoever the owners are uh, to consider the public benefit with equal weight of the fiduciary benefit to shareholders and with the B Corporation, the courts support that. So that's the legal reason for inserting that into your founding documents is to say no one, no successor, uh, no investor can trump that public benefit uh, by using the axiom of or the legal standing of, no, I'm I'm maximizing shareholder value and that takes precedent. I hope that was clear. I'm not a legal yeah, no, I, expert on this. I think so. And, you know, from my research in, into the topic, I mean, they're, they're very uh, well-known companies in certain circles these days, ranging from Patagonia to Allbirds, Bombas, uh, you know, that, that are well-known. And, uh, that ben are, and Jerry's. Yeah. Well, and, and Ben and Jerry's is an interesting example because uh, I believe they're owned by uh, maybe uh, it, Unilever, yep. I think, actually. Unilever. You, um, you're, no, so you're right. It's, it's they're, Unilever. They're owned by, um, by a publicly traded company. So it's not that there aren't mm-hmm. shareholders involved, and it's not that they're not profitable. Um, the same with uh, New Chapter is a subsidiarity of, of uh, Procter & Gamble, of P&G. Um, so, yeah. you know, sometimes people think of, you know, things like this and, you know, some kind of a benefit corp, and they don't necessarily think about, you know, how that can scale and be successful, um, I think in some ways it might drive in additional audience or additional market segment that specifically likes to, um, you know, shop with their dollars in a way that's more impactful and meaningful in, in their eyes that, um, that benefits the public good that leaves the world a little bit better than they found it. So it's... Yeah, uh, we like this. interesting. I'm sorry, Robert. Uh, yeah. you know, we, we like to we like to think the same thing, and our our clients are, you know, I would I would say that it's a uh, it's a feel good point, and we're happy to share as much as people want to know about what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, we're held accountable by the quality of our work and our our ability to execute for our clients. So. Uh, you don't get any free passes because you're a public benefit company, uh, but it does it does uh, make clear in everyone's mind, including our own, uh, what our ultimate mission really is with the work that we do and how we go about doing our work. And stepping away for a second from the nature of of the corporation as an individual company, so. You know, there are a lot of agencies out there. Um, I imagine through the years you've worked with many and interviewed many uh, for, for different projects and such. What makes Code Exitos different? Um, 
what uh, what are the particular specialties and and how have you narrowed in a way um, that allows you to really perform to live up to your goals um, of not just maybe being a company for the better but producing <laughs> in a way that is going to keep up satisfaction um, from uh, a form of stakeholder from your clientele from the public okay yeah so Great question. I, I, I kind of want to put it into two buckets, if you will. Um, the, the first bucket that I'll take a swing at is what, what makes us different or what do we believe makes us different. And for us, setting aside the, you know, our, someone could claim our moralistic view of, of, uh, of bigger vision, uh, we really focus on the client experience. We, we want our clients to understand and enjoy the process that we, and, and be involved in candidly, uh, with the process we use to build the digital solution they need. Uh, we really focus on entrepreneurs and innovators. So uh, drive and imagination and creativity and enthusiasm are never lacking in our clients. And we love that. I mean, we think we think iron sharpens iron. Um, so we want to make the process as inclusive and as uh, experiential as, as possible. Certainly uh, an additional challenge in the COVID uh, era here, um, but this will pass. And it's actually forcing us to think about new ways to engage and, and, and uh, empower our clients to be part of the process. But I would say that client experience is what we think about most when we hear what makes you different. And you're, you're right. There are a lot of good agencies out there, and a lot of them have their own take on the client experience. Um, and a lot of them are really good at it. Uh, but uh, for us, it's the concept of since we function as a remote development team, it's the idea of erasing the remoteness as much as we can. So our clients are in Slack with us and they're in, uh, you know, they're in WhatsApp with us and they're in Zoom calls with us. And if, you know, everything we can think of to get them short of being physically in the team room with us, because none of us are in the team room right now. Um, but that's, that's what we focus on. Is it, you know, unique? No, but. You know, if unique was the only thing that mattered, we'd only have one pizza chain in the whole country or one hamburger restaurant or one car manufacturer. So um, I would like to think that we spend most of our client facing time thinking about how to make the experience valuable to them. Um, on, on the side of how we do that and, and what we focus on, um I'm always thinking about our employees, our team. That's our other core constituency. And, you know, our mission is to connect brilliant engineers with fantastic projects that they wouldn't otherwise be able to access because of their uh, geography, uh, the limitations of their geography. So um, our engineers, they don't, you know, they're not denizens of Silicon Valley or Austin, Texas, or, you know, the New York startup scene. They're, they're working hard to 
to deliver high quality and they do deliver really world-class uh, caliber work, uh, but it's through this remote construct. So we focus our development uh, disciplines down into uh, agile methodologies, um, fairly common uh, frameworks and tool chains. We're consultants, so we show up and we use what's asked of us. But we really focus on best practices and constantly refining our best practices around things as simple as how to run a good standup, how to keep our JIRA board uh, up to date and in the backlog groomed, how to handle bug fixes, et cetera. Some really mechanical stuff. Uh, we focus mostly on JavaScript, uh, React, React Native, some of the JavaScript frameworks. That's really our space. Um, AWS and Google Cloud are really the cloud providers we work in. We don't do a lot of work in Azure. It's a great product, but it's it's more enterprise oriented uh, than a lot of our entrepreneurial clients. Uh, and then on the e-commerce side, uh, we only use, I should say only, uh, we, we focus on uh, WordPress and WooCommerce for really simple stuff. Somebody says, hey, I have a few coffee cups I want to sell on my website. Fine. Certainly don't need uh, Magento for that. And then Magento. So we don't, I like to be really, really deep in the technologies we use and use very few technologies. So if someone came to us and said, hey, I have this Drupal site, can you work on it? Our answer would be, we're not your guys. Not because we couldn't, but a big word, an important word for us in our culture is uh, craftsmanship and mastery. So um, we try to keep, we try to keep our, uh, our domain of expertise narrow, but very, very deep. So, sorry, that was kind of a long-winded answer for you, but you had two big no, categories in there. that was perfect. There. I was picturing a restaurant because I often like to think of agencies in that way. Uh, and so, you know, I'm sort of working my way backwards there. Uh, you've got a smaller menu so that you're not um, putting too much pressure on the kitchen to have this huge diner menu and to be able to make you know, hundreds of different dishes and stock all those ingredients and try to be jacks of all trades and, and masters of none. Um, you're using world-class chefs, you know, that are more readily available in a particular part of the world. So, you know, you, you found something um, special there and, you know, and, and really uh, focused on quality that's going out of the kitchen. So, uh, and it sounded like on the front of the house, you're focusing uh, a, a lot on the customer care, on the, the customer success, the you know, that experience, um, including communication as a key. So, you know, no one, not that many of us are spending much time at restaurants. It's certainly been a long time for me, <laughs> but, you know, no one <laughs> right. wants to be sitting there all day and not getting uh, any, any help up front or um, getting the wrong stuff and so on. It's a very, very basic, you know, way of, of looking at it. But I think that all that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and for us, I mean, the kind of work that we do, Robert, we love we love people who are deeply invested in the outcome of the software that needs to be built or launched. If it's a, in the case of an e-commerce site, so um, you know, in it, it over the course of my career, I've worked with global leaders in 
you know, like companies like Ford or John Deere or the Gap or, I mean, really, really wonderful companies. But um, even when I think about the, the teams that I've been part of, um, at the end of the day, it really comes down to it's, it's a job. And the people we like to work with at Code Exitos, it's more like their life. Their, their passion just flows through everything they do. And passionate people um, over time have passionate discussions, let's say, about things that aren't going well or things that might have gone differently or deadlines that could have been uh, you know, met better um, in both ways. So it really is all. It's fundamentally it's all about communication. If if you don't if you don't have the trust of the entire team, which the includes the client, um, then all the mission in the world is not going to save you. It's it's just a disaster. So yeah. Well, and there are yeah. things that go outside of uh, the norm. Um, you know, when we talk about custom development. Sometimes until you put certain elements together, you can't anticipate all of the potential issues that arise that need to be, that need workarounds. So, you know, you go to put certain technologies together, let's say in a Magento site, you go to add a, a few extensions together and you find that they conflict with each other. And now, you know, that wasn't something you could have known exactly what the interactions were going to be before testing. Um, but now you need to work on plan B on whatever the workaround is, right. working through the conflicts or swapping out something or writing something custom or, uh, you know, there's different paths that can be taken, but these are some of the realities to the business. If, um, I like to think, and the same goes with, uh, here at JetRails with web hosting, that it takes a partnership between hosting development, the client themselves. Um, you know, it, it takes a drive to want things to work well. Um, to want to empower the, the people um, that are working as part of that trifecta to really be successful together. Um, and when you get that and everyone's watching out for each other and, and really making it shine, typically you get really good outcomes. <laughs> you know, when it's everyone for themselves um, and back to kind of how I, I, I liked um, the focus on, on a benefit corporation, uh, it's a little bit of a different structure. So circling back to that angle for a moment, when we talk B Corp, I know that a lot of B Corps um, that I've looked at um, have particular areas where they bring benefit to a community or the community at large. So like Tom's shoes for every pair you buy is out there um, giving away pairs to those in need around the world. And um, you know, there are different companies that have different focus. It does sound so far like like a, a big area for you is reinvesting into um, in, into this team, into quality, um, into uh, a region that might not otherwise uh, get exposure to provide these services uh, that are in such demand and for which it can often be hard to find. <laughs> Uh, ready and, and able developers that, you know, I've seen companies spend a long time on the hiring process. Right. Well, yeah. So, um, again, a, an organization like Tom's, I mean, what a great, uh, you know, what a great gift, right. That they give back to the community. And, um, our perspective is a little different. Uh, Code Exitos is 
fundamentally about creating opportunity. And the idea of a B Corp, at least as we interpret the B Corporation, is that it's the adage of doing good by doing well. Like we are running a commercial enterprise. If you just sort of erase that B Corp thing altogether, um, we'd still be an agency. We'd still be doing custom software development. We'd still have our own uh, perspective on the customer experience. But with the B Corp, for us, what it means is opportunity creation. And to your point, opportunity creation where it wouldn't otherwise exist. Um, so we, like all of our engineers have college educations. They're, they're typically graduates in computer science, software engineering, or electrical engineering. They're also fluent in English as well as Spanish be, before they come to us um, or before we find them. We do a lot of recruiting. Um, so they have some of the biggest skills are already in place, but there's no, there are very, very few opportunities for them to really exercise those skills. And if, if you and, and your viewers want to read a phenomenal book, I recommend Drive by Daniel Pink. Uh, it, it talks about the things that motivate, um, you know, high potential people. And those three things are mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And those are the things we try to channel, not only for our developers, but then for the community of software developers around us. We can't hire every developer that we meet. Uh, and we're not a charity, so we're not here to give away money. I mean, this is not, we're not hiring people who are otherwise unhirable. Um, so we do not only a lot of internal training on best practices and technology, and I, I bring in people from my career, you know, 30 years of my career from all over the world. Uh, we just had a, an internal speaker who is, uh, is a world-leading consultant in Agile, in Agile methodologies. And actually, he spoke to our team about his experience in developing high-performance software teams. So we do that kind of internal work, but then we turn it around and uh, we do a lot of events in Honduras for uh, all developers, whether they're, well, right now we're doing a lot of webinars, we call them CodeSpark remotes. Uh, we have an annual conference that we put on called the CodeSpark. And, uh, you know, it was last summer, it, unfortunately it's gonna be canceled for this year, but I'll tell you a really cool story out of that. If you should take just a minute here. So we, we put up on this, it's like a little tech conference. Uh, it's a one day tech conference at one of the leading universities in Honduras, uh, Unitec, they're great partners for us. Um, and we had a, a roster of speakers and a roster of workshops in workshops like IOT, you know, building IOT devices and uh, just great speakers. Uh, but the thing that I, I thought was really awesome, we had about 200, I think 200 attendees, 250 attendees, something like that. It was really well attended. Uh, we had this random Facebook message about 10 days uh, before the event. Our marketing team said, hey, we, we had this message from a school teacher wanted to know if high school kids could attend. I'm like, yeah, sure. Why? I mean, like, why not? I mean, who are we to say no? If, 
if you're interested enough to invest your Saturday in a nerd event, you're our kind of people. <laughs> yeah, come right? on by. So, come on by. So, um, you know, of course, this is an event of a couple hundred people. And I know you guys produce events. And the day of the event, you're all kind of keyed up. And you're, it's like, hey, do we put the signs up? Do we have enough refreshments? All these things going through your mind. Are our speakers here? Um, and I remembered asking our head of marketing, I'm like, hey, did we ever hear back from that teacher? And he's like, no, it, we, we answered him. We told him it was fine. Um, and about an hour later, uh, our head of talent came running up and she's like, hey, that teacher just pulled up with two school buses and has like 70 kids in the parking lot that are unloading. And so... It turns out, Robert, that they had spent the better part of four hours driving across the, you know, a big part of the country uh, wow. to come to this event. So for them, the opportunity to be surrounded by a peer group or who they thought was going to be their peer group uh, was was an opportunity that that led them to to make that sacrifice. So. You know, it's cool stuff like that that happens and it wouldn't happen otherwise. So yeah, well, and maybe that made the world a little better that day. You don't always know how those sparks impact people. And that's, you know, I don't know something like the butterfly effect or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool yeah, that's to think exactly about right. that it can be impactful. That's exactly right. And, and, to, and to take that all the way back then is, <clears throat> excuse me, why, uh, why for me, and my partner, uh, Jackie, who's also my daughter, uh, it was important for us when we started the company that, that there's never any chance for that to be erased. Um, we don't think there's any reason that we would want to sell the company or bring in investors or whatever. Um, but it doesn't matter because it, it can't be erased. It's baked into our corporate DNA. And, uh, we're pretty happy about that. And that's really, I think, how I interpreted the value of the B Corporation uh, more than anything is that it's it's a an ever present reminder to us uh, to stick to the values that lead us to believe that somehow those butterfly effects are going to happen, and and they will, and they have, and it's it's fun, and so. At this point, you know, you've been up and running for some time. Have you found sort of an ideal target audience for your go-to-market strategy? Um, have you found that there are particular types of organizations or sized organizations that react really well um, to the value proposition that, that you bring to the table? Um, yeah. Yeah, we have. Uh, like I said, and, and maybe it's just you know, my own pattern matching of birds of a feather, but, but for us, it's heavily invested entrepreneurs, uh, not heavily invested financially, but, um, you know, we want, pardon me, we want the owner of the mission. It, we want, we want a complimentary passion partner. Um, so I'll, I'll take, I'll take a company that I loved working with, um, John Deere, they're, they're a fantastic company. Uh, I can't see anything bad about them. They're a global enterprise, uh, quality people. 
I grew up on a farm, so I'm a farm boy, so I certainly get their uh, market. Um, and they have an innovation group, and those are good people, and they work on some pretty cool stuff, but it's not their life, you know? And so for us, the better fit tends to be, and in fact, it could be a startup that's investing their own money. It could be a startup that has some seed money or an A round. Um, but, but that early stage company tends to be who we connect with the most. So we, we look to people like Techstars, we look at the incubators, we look at the supporting communities that help those entrepreneurs get up and running. And, uh, and that's where we shine. Plus, given the fact that we function as a remote team and the pay scale, uh, a quality wage and salary for our employees is substantially lower than what, uh, you know, an Austin, Texas uh, software developer would expect. You know, our billing rates are accessible. Uh, we make the talent accessible to the entrepreneurs. So in a way, the benefit for them is that they're talking about a $25 or $30 an hour billing rate versus uh, you know, $75, $100, an hour billing rate. So they win. They can do more with the resources they have. And they're working with people that are literally in the same time zone. In the case, you know, if you know, from Chicago, uh, we have, uh, it'll take you about four or five hours on an airplane and you could be in our office from, from Austin, Texas is about a two and a half hour flight. I mean, it's, it's really close. It's closer for someone in Austin or Houston and Dallas. It's closer for them to come to our office in Honduras than it is to go to a, an office in San Francisco. Hmm. Um, so we, we like, we like those people who have a high passion factor and they're heavily invested emotionally that they're like, heck yeah, you know, we're going to, we're going to come to Honduras for a week of working together. And that's awesome. Or, Hey, you guys come up here for a few days and work with us. And we love that. It's a little harder to get that, that kind of traction at the enterprise level. Um, I wouldn't well, say no, but that it's also yeah. harder sometimes to get certain buy-in um, that, uh, and, and I've always loved working with enterprise clients, but in some ways, SMB is sometimes more fulfilling. You can see the impact that you're having. You can have, whether they're on every call or not, you can have, you know, the, the top level stakeholders, ownership, what have you really involved in decision making and really play a, a deeper role. Um, when you deal with an enterprise, you know, you're, you're somewhere within the company, <laughs> you know, and their budgets and other things involved. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes the decision-making process is just different. Um, and that's okay. Uh, that doesn't mean that it doesn't take, um, you know, different size organizations to, <laughs> to run the world as we know it. And, um, but I can see where you could have some really great outcomes uh, more toward the SMB or even mid-size. Yeah, it just, it just fits us better. And, you know, I'm a hands-on... I'm a hands-on guy. I'm in the team room. I'm, I work in the business every day. Um, so yeah, I, it's just who we gravitate to and, and that's what our culture is based around.
Um, yeah, I, you know, enterprise I think, guys are great, but that's not really our swing zone. Yeah. I think jet rails. It's it's interesting that there's a little bit, um, a slight, uh, you know, uh, opposing direction that that comes out of a similar way of thinking, um, because there's a lot of people that commoditize web hosting, and they look at it mm-hmm. as what's and you know there's a phenomenal number of searches whether you're talking about Google or. Quora or wherever it may be for, you know, cheap hosting for, um, yeah. you know, for whatever it may be, uh, you know, we're looking for folks that are growing a scale beyond that, that are looking for quality, they're looking for a team that will be, you know, <laughs> behind them and have their back. And that's different. You know, it's a much more hands-on service. It's a much more proactive service with dedicated account managers and regular check-ins and a long-term optimization and, and, you know, goals together. Um, It's just uh, a a different animal. And while, yes, it's not physically difficult, I think, to provide the commoditized service, and there's a market for that, um, you know, you have to figure out where are your passions as a company and and where do you excel? Where are your resources going to have the best uh, impact in the market? So... Uh, yeah, we're we're really we're really excited to be working with you guys because you fill uh, you fill a critical gap in the market, uh, particularly for the client kind of clients we have. In that, um, you're not the commodity service, and none of our clients come to us, even if they're startups. And you know, we have we have a couple of these with you right now. They haven't launched their their commerce platforms yet. Uh, they didn't really even know what their traffic volume is going to be, but they're they're not in it to be commodity businesses. So I, I think that's maybe another differentiator for us. If if someone comes to us and says, "Hey, I'm you know I have a I have a muffler shop in small town America, and I just want to sell mufflers online to people in my community." Of course, this is a farcical example. Um, they're probably not going to be willing to make the investment in time, energy, and money uh, to scale. We we like clients who come to us and say, I have this huge idea. I'm fired with passion for the idea, and I need it to scale, and you're going to help me build it, and we're going to scale it. In that case, uh, if they're right, and we like to believe they're right, uh, we don't want to be retooling them off of some crappy $99, you know, we paid with a credit card website and e-commerce platform and then get them rolled onto something like you guys can provide. Uh, Cause there's no time to do that. Once, once the roller coaster leaves the station, you know, we want to be, we want, we want to know the track is safe. So you guys are safe track for our clients. They'll go up, they might come down, they might do some loop-de-loops, but I know the track is safe. I don't want yeah. to get on any rickety, no uh, one in rickety roller coasters. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants to get stuck with that roller coaster upside down uh, when you're talking right. security for e-commerce and PCI compliance. Uh, big deal when you're talking just about you know the overall stability and reliability, the, the scalability to handle as they do grow, as they do get a good sale day, as they do you know, pick up steam, um, just the speed, you can't get the same conversion rates, uh, with a slow site that you can with a fast site and you're dumping money into building a site, into marketing a site. You may as well, uh, pay some similar attention to 
protecting the, the site and making it performant. So we find that there's a lot of that. And it's not necessarily that a team like JetRails is going to come out to be more expensive in the long run. Um, in some cases, you know, either our services are going to pay for themselves or um, depending on what you were paying elsewhere, you know, because we optimize better, we may be able to do a lot more with less server or hosting resource, whether dedicated servers or in the cloud or whatever it may be. Um, so it, is it when you take away some of that, just let's look at this as a pure one number sticker price kind of a decision and look at it more as an opportunity cost and um, as a, you know, a long-term investment, you really start to figure out what the best option is. And so getting away from, from the hosting, which I try not to talk too much about, uh, (laughs) I get to talk hosting all day when I'm not taping this, uh, you chose maybe a couple of e-commerce platforms and Magento really in the lead uh, as your go-to. I know a lot of agencies that started with Magento in the earlier 2000s, maybe you know when Magento was first releasing and in uh, you know 2008, 2009, maybe in, in, in the early 10s. Um, it's always nice to see a new agency making the choice. Was there anything in particular that drove you and your team to Magento versus anything else that was on market? Mm. Anything that, you know, if you were talking to somebody and they said, oh, we were thinking about platform X that makes you really think Magento is uh, is something that needs to come into the conversation? Uh, well, you know, we love open source. We, we love the fact that there's a big open source community out there. Although, you know, the weirdness of Magento 1 and Magento 2 doesn't, you know, that's just weirdness that's that's behind us now. Um, no, I don't think so, Robert. There, Look, I, I get it. People can use other platforms. Um, they could probably have, you know, comparable results with other platforms. For us, it came down to uh, a comfort level. Uh, the understanding that we could open it up if we needed to and and get inside and work around, uh, although we try not to do that because of our clients. Our our clients benefit from overall cost of ownership, which is what you were talking about. So, you know, years in this industry has taught me that complexity, uh, you don't introduce complexity lightly. So, you know, monkeying with the core code, that kind Technical of stuff. Debt. Uh, yeah. technical debt. Yeah. I have a whole white paper on technical debt, lots of uh, opinions on it, but no, you know, Magento is a good, it's a great platform. It's a solid platform. It's been out there. There are a lot of, uh, like I said, it's a big community. It's well supported. So, um, we weren't around in the early 2000s, so we had to pick something. Yeah. I've told people for many, many, many years that I always looked at Magento as, as the platform of yes, Yes, we can do that. There's an extension for it already, or we can write an extension, or it's just out of the box with Magento where it's not with others. Um, or there's an integration to some third-party SaaS solution for Magento that does that more elegantly um, because you can interface on a higher level. Um, and yeah, nobody wants to be replatforming under duress. Um, about 100,000 Magento One sites right now, I think would agree. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, right. but I know we're we're right here um, at that end of life, so we'll 
I think we'll leave that bigger topic off um, for for another time. But um, but it's it's certainly interesting. So uh, you know, it's nice to see someone in the agency space going that that B Corp route. I I don't know of any others that um, that have. I did just see recently that um, a company that works in the uh, in the e commerce space called Sezzle, a tech company. Um, mm-hmm. was uh, was able to to file as a B Corp, and they were excited to make that change within their organization, and, and that was exciting. So I wonder if you know if you're among one some of those early adopters, um, and we'll start to see more businesses within the e-commerce sector specifically go that route, knowing that it's a more forward thinking and faster moving industry that, than some that uh, that are just typically <laughs> slow to to adopt change, um, yeah. you know, and I, I know that you mentioned you work with a, a few different kinds of platforms uh, and, and uh, types of work. What has driven you toward e-commerce? Um, obviously, there's, you know, there's always in recent years been demand for it. Anything in particular? Is it that that's what the market is asking for? Well, it's primarily that. And it's for me, it's a particularly odd um, you know, deja vu moment. Well, the, the first venture back company that I was part of, I was a founder and the chief technology officer uh, of a company called Submit Order. And we built in Ohio, we built an e-commerce fulfillment company. So we had a lot of clients who were on the early days. This is the late 1990s. I mean, like you mentioned earlier about spelling names and domain names and stuff. I remember working with our marketing people, no one was sure how to write e-commerce. Like, was it two words? Was it hyphenated? Was it upper lower? K? Like there was literally no standard. So I've been around the e-commerce world since we, no joke, since we invented the word e-commerce. Um, you mean it's, and, we don't write it out as electronic commerce. That's not how the standard that we stuck with. <laughs> well, I think you want to do HTTP colon slash slash electronic commerce uh, now. Um, yeah, it's a really old joke. Uh, probably a bad dad joke there for me. But um, So then I, I, I got into more of the supply chain, transportation, logistics world as e-commerce seemed to be like everybody settled down. You know, if you were, if you were a thoughtful merchant, you had a multi-channel merchant strategy and you did all the right things and okay. Uh, for us, it was really COVID. If, if we would have done this interview, well, we wouldn't have done this interview six months ago because we weren't focused on the e-commerce space um, because there wasn't a lot of demand. We were doing web apps, uh, multi-tier web apps, mobile apps, that kind of uh, custom development. And as the coronavirus uh, pandemic really took hold, we were getting more and more questions from uh, entrepreneurs and existing businesses saying, "Hey, I have to, I have to rethink my go-to-market strategy. I have to, I have to meet my customers where they are, and my current B2B channel uh, doesn't quite work. My storefront. I, oh, we had shopping malls, shopping mall developers call us and say, "Hey, I have this hundred million dollar shuttered piece of real estate with stores in it." can I turn my mall into a pickup spot? Uh, Well, that's interesting. So speed and economy became 
big drivers. It's like, hey, I need to do something really fast. You know, finger quotes around really uh, fast. And uh, it has to be economical. So we didn't feel that starting from scratch code was necessary. And as we listened to more of these, we saw patterns emerge that these are really variations on e-commerce. Uh, a lot of hyper-local uh, with delivery. Um, a lot of um, sort of reimagined B2B uh, transactions that, that people are, are talking to us about. Uh, but fundamentally, it seemed like we could start by platforming them on something like Magento and then build on the front and the back end uh, to take care of those pieces. So that's that's really why this has popped up. I'm happy to be back in this space. Uh, we have a trick or two up our sleeves and uh, now we're just getting after it and solving client problems. Well, that answer your question? I, I think it does. And on that note, I think you and I should get back to solving the problems of the world. <laughs> this was That's an right. absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining for this episode of the podcast. Uh, any final words before we wrap? No, I hope I added more value than volume. And uh, any entrepreneurs out there or really anybody that wants to contact me, uh, feel free to give them my contact information. We can talk about uh, you know, within reason, anything that interests them that we might have touched on here and, and even some other aspects of our business if they're curious about it. But uh, we wish everybody, you know, the best of success with their business and stay healthy. And we'll all see how these interesting times changes. And uh, one, one final uh, comment is we often say to, to people, you know, muchos éxitos, which is sort of like, Best of success, great success to you. I so, like it. Thanks for your time, Robert. I appreciate. Absolutely, and, thank uh, you. And um, to our uh, listeners, uh, as always, thanks for really hanging with Jet Rails. Yeah, um, we uh, we wish everyone listening uh, much success uh, here from the Jet Rails podcast as well. If you have questions, if you have thoughts, you can find us at jetrails.com or at jetrails across social media, including LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, we love to hear from you and, and uh, hope uh, that you continue uh, to do well. Happy selling.